everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Science. It, what? It sounded like you were coming in really, really fast. It's like the fucking Doppler effect. You know, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I just Welcome to Science Podcast. Where? Where are you going? Where are you, Okay. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Science and Podcast. What do you mean too casual? Too casual. We're Start. a very casual podcast. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm Madison. I'm Jared. Yep. Same ones as always. We're buds and we're here to take the headache out of peer-reviewed scientific literature, mm -hmm. which means we have a fresh new piece of science and you're going to hear some dogs snuffling in the background. They make so much noise. <laughs> so apologies in advance. Yeah. Um, and while the dogs are snuffling and we're talking about science, we're also going to break it down and make it real easy and make some fun jokes about it. Yeah, man. Uh, so last week was my episode, and so it's your turn now. It is. It's my turn. I have brought the science. <laughs> oh, these dogs are stomping. They're stomping. Oh, now he's under my armpit. Hi. Just disruptive as hell. Yes, I have brought the article this week, but I'm not going to tell you the title of it until after we do a little experiment live on the show. Interesting. So we're actually going to start with a televised portion this week. So if you want to see the actual video of it, that's going to be on our Instagram. And it's a nice little taste of what you'll get if you subscribe to our Patreon when we create it. When we create it. When we create it. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be some science. What I can tell you about the article without any spoilers is that it's brand new. It's published the 31st of March this year, 2022, in Nature Scientific Reports. Ooh, that's yes. a prestigious one. Oh, look. The authors are V. Schlesel and Kruter. I am Gossaman and E. Schmidt. Only so, four. That's not uh, common for you. Only four. And it's from Germany. Oh, there you go. Yeah, from Frankfurt, which is a place I've been. So that's mm -hmm. kind of fun. All right, I'm going to turn on the camera. section out of the audio so to sum it up i just gave jared 15 minutes worth a condensed version of the test we're about to talk about uh for the paper this week jared failed miserably um <laughs> jared did not recognize the pattern i thought i did um th he thought he did he was wrong I got lucky and, for a and he got ultimately 15 percent correct yeah but i got a lot of evidence out of it he did get a lot of evidence so I got he, got, he got treats i got what yeah I um and we're gonna stop the video recording now cool that was fun. Was it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Jared. So, the test I just gave you is actually now frequently being used to determine the mathematical abilities of non-human animals. Oh, that makes sense. I suck at math. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, they use colors instead of symbols because, as far as we know, we're the only species that uses symbols to communicate. So it would take a lot of time and resources to try to teach other organisms to read. Right. So, in this test... But what a... What an amazing endeavor. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this test is actually supposed to test whether or not you can understand to subtract or add one. So blue means add one. 
Yellow means subtract one. See, I was taking a directional approach, whereas blue means right and yellow means left. Mm -hmm. And it worked for a while, which is why I established the pattern in my head. Which is why, in order for this test to be successful, you have to go for, for weeks at a time. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, other random patterns pop up, which what? intelligent minds pick up on, um, that don't end up panning out. Kind of like gambling. I don't know if I can say intelligent in this case, but sure. <laughs> Well, anyway, it's really exciting that this test was developed because before this experiment, researchers could really only test if animals were able to reliably choose a larger or smaller quantity, mm. but they weren't able to get so specific um, as add or subtract a value of one. And quantity discrimination abilities have been demonstrated in all vertebrate classes as well as several invertebrate species, but adding or subtracting a value of one is a much more sophisticated task. It requires actual numerical discrimination, i.e. counting, mm -hmm. rather than just eyeballing it. So One pile bigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Before this study, simple mathematical calculations such as addition and subtraction have only been investigated in primates, birds, and most recently, spiders and honeybees. Who's left out of that list, Jared? Almost everything else. Well, let's see. We've got primates, birds, spiders, and honeybees. What big group of animals is missing? Fish? Yes! Oh, next. Fish! So this study is about fish. Cool. Um, so specifically... There's the a lot animals, of invertebrates out there, to be fair. That's there are talking. a lot. There are a lot of invertebrates out there. But these are two vertebrates that we're studying to see if they can add or subtract one in a space of one to five. Nice. So they're given pretty much the exact same test as you were. Um, I'm not going right. to be happy with these results. So before we launch into that experiment, we're going to give Jared a little break allow him to prove that he is an intelligent vertebrate <laughs> um, in the fun fact corner. Oh, goody. Which is a corner of our podcast where we completely break off from the main topic and talk about whatever the fuck we want to. So, yeah. Jared, what's your fun fact this week? Uh, my fun fact is that not all spiders are venomous. Not all spiders are venomous. Jared, mm -hmm. you've been saying for so long that they are. I think I said almost all. Okay, maybe, maybe. If I wasn't, my bad. Because uh, I think I learned this maybe a year ago. Okay. Have we been doing the podcast for a year? We have. Okay, Over so a year now. maybe there's a little bit of overlap there. Yeah. Um. So most, the majority of spiders do have have a venomous bite. Uh, most of those can't really hurt humans. It's a subduing venom uh, that gets their prey ready, ready for eating. Uh, but some spiders don't. Uh, there's a really tiny fan... It's a tiny family, and also the spiders are really tiny. Huh. Um, it's called Ulaboridae, or the Cryboleite orb weavers. Ulaboridae. 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 So what's really funny is that Ulaboros Ula is... <laughs> I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, so the type genus of the family is called Ulaboros, which in Greek means with deadly bite. Uh, oh, really? But they're a non-venomous spider. Oh. Which is, I think, a bit of irony by the person who named it, which I think is kind of fun. Uh, mm -hmm. But they don't actually envenomate the prey at all because they can't. Uh, yeah. Their prey gets caught in their silk, they wrap them up real nice and tight, and they regurgitate their digestive enzymes all over it. Kind of like a starfish. Kind of like a sea star, yeah, without the yeah. stomach actually coming out. Yeah. All right, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Tiny, non-venomous spiders that live in New England. Yeah, I found my very first... Oh, uh, the only Ulaboros you're going to find in New England because it's the only one in the Northeast U.S. and Canada is Ulaboros glomerosus. Something like that. Yeah, they're cool. Cool. Love them. Very tiny. All right. My fun fact this week. Did you know that some people think that because lead was in gasoline, that's why there were so many serial killers in the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know how when you go to the gas station, it says regular and unleaded? Yeah. It's because there used to be lead in gasoline. Right. And when you filled up your car, the lead would, like be a gas and be all around and everyone would inhale it. 
Yeah. One of the main symptoms of lead poisoning is decreased emotional regulation. Oh. Like not being able to control your emotions and being super reactive is like one of the main side effects of lead poisoning. Aren't there just as many serial killers now though? No. No, like um, it was like the heyday of serial killers and violent crime in general. It like exploded oh. in the 70s through the 90s. Interesting. And they took lead out of gasoline in the 90s. And since then, crime rates have been on the drop drop. And these are the only people writing our laws. Anyway. <laughs> so if you think that your mom and dad are a little bit emotionally stunted, blame lead. Also lead paint, because that was a thing for a it while. It was everywhere. Yeah. Lead was everywhere. It was in gasoline, it was in paint, it was in the toys, it was in their pencils. They yeah. were just surrounded by lead. And so, of course, none of them know what to do with themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you're a boomer listening to this, okay. okay. <laughs> that was okay. so bad. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. But nice fun fact, though. Yeah. I think it's a fun one. I think it's interesting to think about. I mean, it, it might not be the cause, but it could be a contributing factor to the fact that Everyone over 40 needs serious therapy. So that was a fun hypothesis. Yeah, it was a fun hypothesis. <laughs> okay. But it was, a fact, it was a fact that lead was in gasoline. Yeah. Oh, that was an absolute fact. And that people inhaled it. Mm-hmm. So. Some people fun. still do. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> Don't inhale lead. Don't. Stay away from it. Just gas in general. It's very, mm -hmm. it's, it's very volatile. Anything that was made before 1990, just stay away from it. If yeah. you see an old thermometer, leave it alone. Don't mm -hmm. break it open and play with the stuff inside. Parents born before 1990, get the fuck away from them. Truly. Yeah. Truly. Any person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this has been your warning. Uh-huh. Uh, now, that was fun. We're going to step <laughs> out of the fun fact corner and into the jargon junction. Nice. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is where we pull out the jargon from the Wait, article. I was actually thinking about oh. this. Wouldn't be... I feel like it would be onto. What? Like, we're not going into the corner. We're stepping onto the junction. What is a junction? It's just a meeting of two places, right? I think of it as the spot on the train tracks where you flip the switch and then it goes from one to the other. That is a junction. Yeah. But also a crossroads can be a junction. Like, a junction is any meeting of two opposing planes. Right, but either way, you're not in the road. You're on the road. But you can be... No. Oh. Well, you can be both. Mm. If you're on... You don't say I'm on the... You say I'm on the road if I'm in a car. You say I'm in the road if you're a pedestrian. It's true. Fine. Okay. <laughs> so we're stepping onto the jargon junction. <laughs> <laughs> or into the jargon junction, whichever you prefer. I guess we're not in a vehicle, so by your logic, it would be into. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Pseudotrophius zebra. What? Pseudotrophius zebra. Pseudotrophius zebra. I would guess that's one of the modern zebra species. That's a good guess. Um, it's actually a type of fish. Because remember, we're talking we're, about fish. We're talking about fish. It's the zebra fish. No. No. It's a zebra cichlid. God damn it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so it's a species of cichlid. Um, they're really pretty. They're like five to six inches long, like the size of a small hand. They and keep their babies in their mouth for safekeeping. They sure do. They have a pale blue body with seven or eight dark blue or black stripes, vertical bands. And their color actually changes with their mood. Hmm. Yeah. Mood fish. Yeah, smooth fish. Um... Also, something fun about them, they are mouth brooders, which means the female does hold the mouth, I mean, hold the eggs in her mouth. Mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes when times are weak, she eats them. She does sometimes. Mm -hmm. But here's something I learned that was new um, about these specific types of cichlids. Um, the males have conspicuous markings on their anal fins that are called egg dummies. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, they fool the females into snapping at them because it looks like food. And because of that, the female inhales the sperm, and that assures oh. the fertilization of the eggs in the mouth. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. He's just tricking her with a fake breakfast. 
Oh my god. And then she gets a salty surprise. Oh. Aww. You had to say it like that. And you? then she has 60 babies in her mouth for 20 to 25 days until they hatch. And then she continues to let them come into her mouth whenever it's dangerous for another 8 to 10 days. Love that. Yeah. Cichlids are one of the fish species that have really, really long-term parental care, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of fish have that. Yeah. Um, it would where... be like if orangutans had babies that they carry in their jowls for 18 years. It would be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> crazy, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine having things that I care about just living in my mouth. I care about my mouth microbiome. Not that much. No. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, fair enough. Oh, babies in your mouth. Um, okay. Well, I mean, there's no sperm in my mouth, but well, can you believe what I just said? <laughs> you want them to think there is sperm? In your mouth? <laughs>
Potomotrigon Motoro. Potomotrigon Motoro. Trying to get clues from Genus. It is not working. This is a fish. It is a fish. Probably from the same lake. No. Oh. Because these researchers are in Germany. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's not a catfish. No, but you're getting closer. I am closer. Somehow. I mean, <laughs> it is a benthic fish. Oh, Oh. okay. So it's a benthic fish that's not a catfish. Is it an elephant nose fish? No. Is it's it... a stingray. Oh. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a stingray name. I know, right? Um, it's called in, in its common name is the Ocelot River Stingray. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, they're really cute. They're like two feet in diameter. They can get up to four feet, but usually not. Wow. Um, and they're like a gray brown with false eye spots that look kind of like jaguar spots. Hmm. And they're pretty evenly distributed around their body. Um, they're an oval shape and they have a really fat tail with a venomous spine. Of course. Nice. Because they are stingrays. Mm -hmm. Um they are also found in a very special body of water. Can you guess which one? Mm, Amazon. Yep. The Amazon River. Nice. Um, they're actually found outside of the Amazon River Basin as well. They're found oh. in like a bunch of different rivers in South America, but they were first discovered in the Amazon River Basin. And that is a water system that is very close to my heart. Um, the Amazon River is the largest river in the world by volume and almost by length. <laughs> Beat out by the Nile. Beat out by the Nile, exactly. Um, it's so much water, it actually contains 20% of all the world's available fresh water. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Um, also, can you guess how many different species of freshwater fish live in the Amazon? There's a lot. There's um, more than two. <laughs> 3,000. <laughs> 3,000, 3, yeah. 3,000 different species of freshwater fish. Um, That's like 9% of all known fish species. Yeah. It's, all, it's about 10%. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Insane the diversity there. Um, Ocelot River stingrays also have some interesting mating stuff, like the cichlids are mouth brooders. The Ocelot River stingrays only mate during the dry season, um, and then they give birth to about 3 to 21 pups um, <laughs> during the rainy season. Um, why is it not surprising that that's how they time things? Because um, the dry season, there ain't nothing to do but look for a male stingray to, uh, to seek your teeth into. Um, <laughs> just kidding, rays have pavement-like teeth, so they wouldn't do that. Um, this analogy's gotten away from me. Because of the boom and bust cycle. Because of yes, the boom sure. and bust cycle, <laughs> yes. Because it's safer to have babies in the wet season where resources are plenty. Yeah, exactly. So there's like these really two very distinct seasons in the Amazon. During the rainy season, the water rises an average of 40 feet which is like two houses on yeah. top of each other. And then during the dry season, that all comes back into the banks of the river, but most of the fish get stuck in little ponds and end up passing away, which is great fertilizer for the forest, but not great if you're trying to have babies. So yeah. the reason that they don't have babies during the dry season is because um, they would die immediately. Ain't no water to have those babies. Exactly. So most fish in the Amazon have this same boom and bust cycle with their reproduction. And because of that, um, if you are looking to get a freshwater fish for an aquarium, it's good to source them from the Amazon. And I'd like to specifically shout out one nonprofit called Project Piaba. Um, they work down in the Amazon with the locals who have been collecting the fish really sustainably only during that transition from wet to dry. So they don't collect any fish that um, wouldn't otherwise die. And they have functionally no impact on the population down in that area. So it's a really sustainable source for aquarium fish, and it also provides an income for the people who live there that doesn't involve cutting down the trees. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to get a beautiful little freshwater fish, like a cardinal tetra, 
or uh, freshwater angelfish, check out Project Piata. Or a four-foot-long stingray. Yeah, don't get a stingray. <laughs> um, the stingrays are not part of Project Piata, to be clear. Um, the stingrays for this experiment were actually residents of the Frankfurt Zoo. Lovely. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to shout out Project Piaba because they're a great nonprofit, and it's really important that we protect the Amazon River Basin, not just because of all of the unique species that live there, but also because the Amazon controls our weather. That it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have the Amazon rainforest and its evaporation, we wouldn't have any rain on the Great Plains here in the U.S. of A., which means no corn, which means no cows, which means no hamburgers. Do you understand, everybody? Yeah. Protect the Amazon. That's okay. The, that's the hamburgers I got them. Yep. <laughs> Do you understand? No burger. Um, so yeah, those that's actually all I have in my jargon corner is those oh. two species. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, Jared, based on what you now know about these stingrays and these cichlids, do you think they would be able to successfully complete the task that you were not able to complete? I am not smarter than a fish. Are you smart? Is Jared smarter than a fish? That's the title of this episode. <laughs> The answer is probably fucking no. I thought you were going to get it so fast. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> I thought don't trust me to do math, man. Well, I mean... That was a mistake. I don't know. I don't know, man, but LOL. Um, all right, so what do you think? I think I hate this episode. So you um, had a... You had a... You had a 15% success. <laughs> Please don't put it in numbers. I'm going to put it in numbers. That's been my plan all along. I just thought you would beat them. <laughs> Okay, well, okay, so Jared had a 15% success rate. Jared, do you think the fish are going to have greater or less than a 15% success rate? I don't think 15 is that much is that hard to beat, so I think they're going to do better than me. Okay. Listeners, place your bets now. You can put on money on it. We won't tell the cops. Okay? We do want a cut, though. What? We do want a cut, though. Cut? A cut of the money. Oh, a cut of the money. Yes, please. Thank you. Patreon. Um, <laughs> so, why choose these species for this study? We're in the middle of Germany. Why are we getting animals from Lake Malawi and the Amazon? Well, if one came from the zoo, I would guess the other one also came from that zoo. Well, actually, so the stingrays came from the zoo, um, which was a great place to do the testing as well, because oh. they have research facilities. The cichlids are actually obtained from a commercial dealer. Oh. So the reason they chose these two species is because uh, recently, the numerical abilities of these stingrays and bamboo sharks had been investigated for the first time, and they found that they had pretty high abilities that matched Teleos species. Hmm. So they wanted to confirm that. They wanted an elasmobranch, as in a non-bony fish, to participate. And then they also wanted a bony fish to participate. Previous studies had demonstrated that cichlids were well-suited for cognition experiments and displayed a wide range of cognitive abilities, ranging from visual discrimination experiments to spatial orientation. So they're smart, basically. Yeah. And so Probably they smarter to... than a jar. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll find out. That they wanted a smart fish and a smart elasmobranch, which is also a fish, but mm. without a skeleton. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's why they chose these two species. And then they sallied on over to the Frankfurt Zoo, um, and... Guess how many participants there were in this study? Well, they want a high sample size, so eight fish. Eight, yeah. Oh, cool, okay. Eight cichlids and eight stingrays. Yeah. They chose eight because there were eight stingrays at the zoo, and they were like, great, we'll get eight cichlids. Yeah. Eight and eight, perfect. Um, interestingly, six of the cichlids had already participated in cognition experiments, though two of them were experimentally naive. 
Uh, all of the stingrays were experimentally naive. They had never done anything with science before. Gotcha, gotcha. But these six cichlids had participated in studies before, so I kind of want to like interview them. Like, yeah, I love that. What do they? What do they think life is? Like, so much weird stuff is happening to these six fish. Like, <laughs> make a show about them. I know. Like, they're like, it's my job. Like, I just wonder what they think. You know what I mean? I think they think about food when they get when they do the test, right? Yeah, but like. They're in such a different environment from their natural thing. I see what you're saying. You know, I, I just want to know what's going on in their little fishy brains. Get into their umboat. Yes, exactly. So during the experimental period, um, they were subjected to natural uh, light and dark cycles. So their normal circadian rhythm. And experiments were conducted in the morning and early afternoon, six days per week. Oh boy. Yeah. From the work. Yes, and for both species, the housing tanks also served as experimental tanks, but they were sort of cordoned off, so there was, like, a living section and then, like, a testing section, but mm. it's the same tank, so they don't have to worry about, like, transfer stress and all of that. Make sense? Yeah. Cool. All right, so now, the test that we gave Jared, obviously, was using little shapes on little pieces of paper. You can't use little pieces of paper in water oh, with fish. Laminated paper. Exactly. Wait, really? Um, yeah, so for the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Occam's razor. Sometimes it's not the <laughs> Yeah. So for the stingrays, they use laminated cards. Fantastic. Um, but for the cichlids, they actually used a projector. Oh. Yeah. One of the walls of the enclosure was sort of opaque, so they projected PowerPoint slides onto the front of the enclosure. Um, just like we did for you, they used two-dimensional geometric shapes as the stimuli. Mm -hmm. So for the cichlids. The PowerPoint would first show the prompt, for example, two blue squares, and then it would show two separate options, for example, three blue squares and four blue squares side by side, and the cichlid would have to choose the answer by swimming to one side or the other. And if it swam to the correct answer, it got rewarded with food. If it swam to the other answer, it did not get anything, just mm. like we did with Jared. <laughs> for the stingrays, it was very similar, except instead of PowerPoint slides. They had like a guillotine type door oh. um, that they would show the prompt on and then they would lift the door and then the two answers would be on the opposite walls of the test room and they would have to swim to one or the other. It's so elaborate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> also, to make it even more elaborate, all of these experiments were observed via a Logitech camera that was placed on a plastic rope above the setup. So it was all <laughs> observed aerially the Fantastic. entire time. Um, how did they motivate the fish to participate in testing? Food. Exactly. So before today, I asked Jared what his favorite bite-sized treat is. Jared responded. The popcorn. Well, no. Well, he said smart food, and I was like, no. And then he was like, okay, I'm an atmosphere, and so. <laughs> I just felt like popcorn wouldn't be a good enough motivator. Well, you said snack, and then I was like, oh, she's probably talking about candy. So then I gave you my candy. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So M&M's for Jared, not M&M's for the cichlids. Um, <laughs> for the cichlids, it was food pellets. Um, provided by Sarah Granu Green. I don't know. Excellent. And for the uh, stingrays, it was it was pieces of earthworm, shrimp, and mussel. Lovely. Delicious. Um, for the cichlids, the food was given using pipettes attached to a long tube because they're very small. Um, and then um, the food pellet was just sh shot through the tube immediately once a correct choice was made. Mm. And for the stingrays, they used forceps for feeding. Next question: How do you train a fish? It was difficult to train Jared. Um, and we're both humans. Although, I did make the choice not to speak to him, because you can't speak to fish to train them. 
Right. So the you're, you're actually talking to a trainer right now. <laughs> so uh, obviously it's really hard to talk to an animal uh, to ask them to do things. So first you have to establish what the reward even means. Um, in their case, it would have probably been helpful to establish what's called a bridge, which is basically some kind of stimulant that gives you time to give them the reward. Um, but basically you just sort of throw uh, your apparatus at them, try to make it as fish friendly as possible. And whenever they do the thing you want, uh, that's when you reward them. Yeah, so it's all positive reward-based, no punishment. Yeah. Um, when they do the thing that you wanted them to do, you give them the food, otherwise you don't, and eventually they learn it. Mm -hmm. But, because math is not at all a normal thing for fish with these cards and everything, they yeah. had to get them used to all of it first. Yeah, to give them a lot of time. Yes, so first they were accustomed to the experimental procedure just by feeding them from the feeding apparatus. So a pipette for the cichlids and forceps for the stingrays. So once they weren't afraid of the feeding, then they trained them to swim through the doors that separated their living area from the experimentation area. So next they trained them to swim into the testing area. And so they would just reward them for swimming through the door into the testing area. Next, they introduced the PowerPoint slides and the stimulus cards, which would be blank. And if they successfully swam through the door to either one side or the other, they were given food. So they know that they're supposed to choose something. Um, next, they uh, entered what they called a delayed matching to sample experiment, in which a test stimulus was shown first then removed, followed by the presentation of two choice stimulus, A and B. One was associated with a food reward, while the other was not. Test choice and stimuli varied in how they were presented on the slides and cards in regards to surface area, size, and arrangement of stimuli um, to control any confounding variables and reduce learning to using numerical differences only. Which is why, Jared, when I was doing your training, the symbols were all different. We used that X's, uh, circles, squares, mm -hmm. so in all different sizes, so that the only thing that remains consistent is the colors mean add one or subtract one. I didn't give a single thought to the size of them. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that rules out, you know, eyeballing it, basically. Just right. choosing the larger surface area rather than one number larger, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, got to randomize it. Mm-hmm. Um, they used at least 10 randomly used versions for each number per color. Mm. So lots of different ones, much more than I had here. I didn't want to make... I mean, we don't have time <laughs> to make that many. We have 15 minutes. Um, so... For the training period, they did two sessions a day, at least five hours apart, six days a week, with 10 trials per session. Wow. Very intensive training. Yeah, they worked hard. These fish were mathletes. Yes. Um, the stimuli were presented in a pseudo-random order. Mathletes. These fish were mathletes. Um, and they appeared equally often on either side of the divider on the front wall, but never more than twice on the same side to rule out what Jared was doing, which was blue means right and yellow means left. <laughs> they really worked hard not to make it that way. <laughs> I'm going to say um, maybe if I had more than 15 minutes, I would have oh, gone Yeah, I mean, if you would have gone through the same training that they did, I'm sure it would have taken one day maximum. Again, <laughs> you had 15 minutes. <laughs> So you're saying it would have taken me between 15 minutes and six hours. That's yeah. the time for me to give me. Yeah. I okay. Think I think that's reasonable. I think I could, I'd like to think I would have done it in at least an hour. Listen, um, originally I thought you were going to get it in 15 minutes. We show what happened there. Science is full of surprises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh, also. Hi. Hi, big dog. Hi, blabbery, blabbery. Hi. We love you. 
I do, but I'm podcasting right now. <laughs> I am. I need my arm back. Thank you. Okay. Um, there was an inter-trial interval of 30 seconds. So if a fish did not choose a stimulus within one minute, the trial was aborted. Three aborted trials terminated a session. So when you didn't choose, I gave you 30 seconds, just like in the experiment. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, so training, I didn't do this for you either because I didn't have enough training cards. Training was considered successful when an individual reached a threshold of 70% correct choices in three consecutive sessions. So 70% was the cutoff for Yes, sessions. for the training, not even the <laughs> They had to get 70, 70% right three times in a row, three this, training sessions in a row. This really puts in perspective how hard I feel this experiment. <laughs> for an example, they had to get a C-. And then they could continue. I got Much an, like school. They I were got, athletes. I got an F minus minus. You did. 15% is pretty atrocious. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> You're very smart in other ways. Um. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> okay. So, how do they know that the fish were actually doing math and not memorizing other rules? Because they took enough time to rule out those things. Yes, they did transfer tests, which I did with you as well. So, um... That's fun, because the transfer test that you did did show that I was getting lucky with the yes, it did. Uh, rules. Exactly. <laughs> the transfer test for Jared showed that he did not understand the concept. <laughs> so I shouldn't have continued. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad scientist, and he's a bad athlete. Hi, you do a good job. Yeah. You do a good job. What? Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> was really bad. Um... So another thing that I did for this and that they also did is for all of the training, they uh, eliminated the number three. So none of the prompts were three. Hmm. Um, and then for all of the, the tests, the prompt was three. Oh, yeah. So make sure they never... They're not memorizing yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the transfer test A would show them three blue symbols. Four was the correct choice and two was the wrong choice. Mm. So that was just basically making sure they didn't memorize the prompt cards. So it was the first time they used three. Transfer test type B, they still used three. But this one was to make sure they weren't just choosing the highest or lowest number of objects based on the color. They had to make sure they were actually adding or subtracting just one. So for this one, for example, the stimulus would be three blue and the correct choice would be four and the wrong choice would be five. Mm. You failed that one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and for subtraction, they would show three yellow shapes. The correct choice would be two. The wrong choice would be one. Which I picked randomly. <laughs> Transfer test type C had to make sure that they weren't just using a basic, like a eyeball ballpark of surface area. So they made the correct size that was larger, really, really small symbols. So mm. it took up less space. And the correct size that was smaller, really, really large to take up more space. You also failed that one. <laughs> Do you have to say that every time? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you did. You did not do well. <laughs> it's not your fault. I hate this episode. I'm so sorry. Um, this is the episode where I absolutely roast Jared. <laughs> so, how did our students do? Well, first of all, for learning. For example, I gave you 25 prompts in which to learn. Mm. Um, prompts, not sessions, <laughs> prompts. Um, the cichlids took 28 sessions to learn the concept. 28 whole sessions. You only had one. Yeah, you know. The stingrays actually took 68 sessions to learn. I could have beaten them. So, the cichlids <laughs> took 28 sessions to learn. The stingrays took 68 sessions. Jared had one session. He did not learn. It's not his fault. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> 
not all of the animals, not all eight cichlids and all eight stingrays are actually able to learn at all. So six out of eight of the cichlids learned and four out of eight of the stingrays oh. were able to successfully complete the training and recognize specific colors as symbols for addition and subtraction. However, one of the four stingrays that completed the test, they reached that, that threshold of 70% correct for three sessions in a row, um, could not keep up its performance and was therefore excluded from transfer tests. <laughs> So she just got lucky, I guess. So why was that singer? Yeah. Yeah. We'll call her Jared. <laughs> so the group results were significant for both species in all tests, but individual results were more variable. So mm. there were some like star cichlids and some star stingrays and some who weren't as good at it. Cichlids learned faster than stingrays by far, and more cichlids than stingrays learned the task. But the individual performance of the stingrays actually exceeded that of the cichlids. So the smartest stingray was smarter than the smartest cichlid. Sounds like the dumbest stingray was pretty down there. So yeah, like... Jared was out. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, what was interesting was addition was learned much more easily than subtraction by both species. Oh. Yeah, which to me makes sense. Yeah, I found it harder to learn subtraction as a kid. Yeah, it's because it's taking it away. You don't want to take things away. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. <laughs> I get that. I'm with them there. You know? Um, in the transfer tests, both species actually chose the correct answer five out of six times. That's a lot better than I did. Yeah, Jared was one out of six. <laughs> just just to keep harking really, back really on that. hammering that in there. Yeah, so the transfer tests, just to remind you, showed that the learning was independent of straightforward symbol memorization, um, picking the highest or lowest number based on color, and um, just... Like, basically, it made sure that they were adding or subtracting one. Um, so, five out of six, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. So um, 82. 82%. Oh, did I get that right? Yeah. These, oh. These guys are getting B pluses, y'all. Um, so, during the final testing period on the addition tasks, the cichlid selected the correct answer. Drumroll, please. 78% of the time. Not bad cichlids. Yeah, pretty good. That's 296 out of 381. That does put it more into perspective, the amount of times they did this. Yes, um, <laughs> way more than Jared did. Um, the stingrays selected the correct answer in the addition tasks 94% of the time. Stingrays do math better. Yeah, well, again, there was some. There was like one really smart stingray that yeah, sort of skewed it. With a lot of underperformers. Yes. Like the bottom for, for the stingrays, I imagine, yes. was a lot lower than the bottom. <laughs> yes. Um, during the subtraction tasks, the cichlids were correct 69% of the time. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and the stingrays were correct 89% of the time. Oh, that's less fun. Still cool, though. So even for the strictest of schools, they all passed. They all got above a 68%. So they all passed this class. They are all mathletes. Except for me. Except for Jared. Who is now dumber than a fish. <laughs> like a fucking dunce cap on myself now. Oh, God. Yeah, so what do we take from this? I don't take anything good from this. <laughs> Madison probably takes something different from this. <laughs> so what I found interesting is that the researchers were not surprised by this outcome. I wouldn't be surprised either. Yeah, but um, they said, this is a direct quote, while the outcome is not really surprising given the previous cognition tasks mastered by fish, the results describe a new level of cognitive ability in these species nonetheless. These tasks required short-term memory, numerical competency, and the combined usage of both. Mm -hmm. So, a more interesting question is how large a brain really needs to be to 
to perform these complex cognitive feats. How are these fish able to do complex cognitive feats like adding or subtracting a numerous of one when they don't have a neocortex or an equally structured avian pallium, which is like what birds have that's really similar to a neocortex. Fish are still commonly referred to as primitive or lower vertebrates. I feel like anyone who still like is like devoted to like the lower higher vertebrate terminology is a little bit like uh, fascist. Yeah, yeah. That's like Nazi shit. That's like Nazi shit. Truly. You can't be ranking creatures. No. Beings are not on, we've talked about this so many times. Yeah, there's no ladder to perfection. There's no ladder to perfection. There's no higher or lower vertebrae. And if there is, it ain't us at the top. Yeah, exactly. So this just is another thing busting that ladder. Mm -hmm. Um, Fish can add and subtract by a new, by one. I don't know how to say it simply. (laughs) Simply. Oh my God, I'm losing it. Um, Fish are smarter than me and Jared. Yeah. In conclusion, mm-hmm. um, so basically, if you're still using words like primitive and lower to describe animals that you don't understand as well as yourself and your fellow man, stop that! Because it seems obvious that fish, their cognitive skills, and their status should be considered as sentient animals. Hell yeah. Yeah. Especially in light of all of the detrimental anthropogenic threats that fish are facing every day. Mm-hmm. So, respect Fish. Respect the fish. Respect one fish, respect two fish, respect red fish, fish, respect blue fish. Blue fish, yeah. Yeah. Especially the blue fish. Yeah. Um, and this is a pretty long episode already, so I guess I'll just sum it up by saying they also did the same test for bees, and the bees did better than the fish. <laughs> even though they're invertebrates, they don't even have, like... Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Doesn't or does? Does. Yeah. Because of the like the, the, the way that they forage and yeah they're yeah. so smart yeah. Yeah. yeah so bees and spiders can also do this um, and I'm excited to see how many more animals participate in this test because I think it's a really brilliant test they should do it with snails they should do it with snakes I said snails both <laughs> snakes and snails yeah snakes Rep- and snails. reptiles are also notably absent from the list of species that have been tested this way yes but the problem with doing food rewards with snakes is that you can feed them once a week. <laughs> So like, so like, it's, this is a hard thing to do with snakes. Oh. Takes a really long time. Most reptiles have a pretty slow metabolism. Well, beer, like a lot of lizards you can do like tiny insects with. Should we do this test with your lizards? Yeah. Can we? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and give it to your friends. See how smart they are. Yeah. You know? Um, see if they can figure out math without any of the symbols and complex stuff that we've used to teach it to children. So, um, Yeah. Fish are smart, and this has been Science in Podcast. Fish is smart, Jared are not. Goodbye.